0: I messed up the. Uh, this is the this is the first episode on the brand new M1 iMac. It's awesome, but I somehow messed up the audio, so the audio is a little. It's, it's, it's not as good as it normally is. I don't know why, and I don't think it's something I can fix. I think it's something I forgot to record. But uh, so please bear the uh, growing pains. Thank you for your patience. But um, this is the first episode that I think is officially in 4K. So that's kind of cool. I guess sure, we'll take it. We'll take it. Okay, not just the audio, but also part of the video is messed up to where the cropping is is sometimes you see Mister Vecchione, sometimes you see me, sometimes you see me two of me. It's growing pains with the new computer. Please, please bear with me. Audio's messed up, video's a little messed up, but the episode's great. Content's still the same, and that's all you need. Am I right? I'm, I'm right. Excuse me, Mike. We're recording okay. with Mister Michael Vecchione. And, excuse me, and for everybody listening, this is now the third time it has happened. We have been uh, temporarily suspended from YouTube. And, uh, you know, it's uh, I don't know what else to do. I had on the inventor of the mRNA vaccine and uh, they didn't take that one down, but they took down an episode with, I guess, a less famous doctor. I don't know. Um, to me, At this point, I'm just kind of getting a kick out of it. More than anything, I'm just getting a kick out of it. But so this will be on YouTube in a week, but it will be on Rumble and Bitshoot and Spotify today. Mr. Michael Vecchione, author of Crooked Brooklyn, Friends of the Family, Hand of the Killer, and Murder on the Bridge. If I got them all correctly just now. End. End. Behind the murder curtain. Behind them. Damn it! I was so close. I was. That's
1: so cl- okay. So, Can you
0: introduce yourself for all the new listeners?
1: Sure. My name is Michael Vecchione, as uh, Tom said, and I am the retired former chief of the Rackets Division in the Brooklyn District Attorney's Office, uh, and now author. In fact, I have a new book that will be coming out next year called Homicide is My Business. It's about a Sicilian hitman who comes to the United States trying to make his bones, so to speak, and um, runs into uh, lots of problems. So um, very interesting story. And um, when it comes out, I'm hoping Tom will have me back and we'll talk about that book when- uh, of, course. of course,
0: I'm insulted that you feel the need to ask. I'm <laughs> truly insulted. It's a smack in the face.
1: Oh, uh, um, well, you know, must be a new computer, must not be working right. So yeah.
0: Uh, <laughs> it's- Yeah, yeah, It's not hearing properly. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for everybody- we lost
1: you for a second there. Are we back? What happened here?
0: I don't know. Can you still hear me?
1: Uh, I can hear you, but I lost the video.
0: Um, that might be, that might be on your end. I don't know. I have no idea.
1: I don't know how I do this. (laughs) Um, Sick of the 40 minute time limit. I don't know what that means, but, um.
0: What? No, it's, uh.
1: Hang on a second. Let's see if this does it. There we go. We good? Yeah, we're back. All right. All right. Beautiful. I'm going to keep my hands off my mouse here and just answer your questions
0: all right well so we've talked about everything under the sun and um today i want to ask more about interrogations and exactly i'm obviously not in this field so i'm not even sure what the correct questions are to ask okay so if you were hypothetically on a podcast with someone that didn't know what to ask what to you are are the most interesting aspects of it. what are, I mean, is, is there a basic, is it an art? Is it not something where you just learn a through, you know, you can learn, I can learn the rules of football, but it's not until I'm on the field with Tom Brady and getting the shit kicked out of me by 600 pound linebackers under the lights. And I
1: understand the, the disappointment preci- of a loss, right? That's precisely the case. Um, first of all, it is an art and, um, I've been, just so that your, your listeners and viewers know, I was in the district attorney's office for 30 years of my 40-year-plus career as an attorney. Um, and during that time, uh, one of the duties of a initially a young assistant district attorney, um, and then I did it even as I got older and more experienced and into much higher um, uh, quality cases or more difficult cases, we did something called riding. And um, what riding is, it was the term of art that we used in the office. Essentially, it was an assistant district attorney, mostly in the beginning from the Homicide Bureau. But later on, when I took over Rackets, we did it in the Rackets division as well. Um, The assistant district attorney is on call for a 24-hour period. And he is av- he or she is available to detectives, police officers, agents, um, any law enforcement who is making an arrest or doing an investigation um, in what was Bro- in Brooklyn, which is called Kings County. Um, and oftentimes, if you were on homicide duty, you would get a call for a couple of reasons. One. The defendant who had been arrested for the murder was inter- had been interrogated by the police officer or detective and was willing to give a statement to, um, to the district attorney. So the cop would take the statement, he would write it down in his own hand, but there's nothing like seeing a video of the defendant um, making the confession on video so that you could play it to a jury later on and not necessarily depend on the cop retelling what the confession was. So the assistant DA was on call to go out to the various police or law enforcement locations to take a videotaped confession or statement. It didn't necessarily have to be a a confession. Maybe the defendant wanted to offer some sort of an alibi, but that statement would be videotaped and it would be up to the assistant district attorney to take the statement, whatever it was. And of course, you would go out and first advise the defendant of his Miranda rights um, and then listen to what the defendant had to say. And um, it was incumbent on the assistant district attorney to make sure that he or she does this interrogation with the idea that later on this was going to be played at a trial of this defendant, assuming he didn't plead guilty, he or she didn't plead guilty, and it would have to be the kind of evidence that a jury would look at and use um, for, as from a prosecutor's point of view, for uh, the basis of a conviction. So it's very important that that the statement that you take from this defendant Is done in proper fashion, and you don't learn that right away. I mean, I had to go out when I was a—I was an intern also in the DA's office for a while, and I would go out with the assistant DAs who were writing, even as an intern, a law student, and listened and watch and uh, and learn. And um, and when you when you do it enough, you get the the feeling, and you get the, the 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 ability to handle these things. And keep them to not necessarily you don't want to keep them to a minimum, but you' also don't want this to be a three or four hour diatribe by the defendant, which would be a turn off to the jury. so you have to learn how to you know how to focus the defendant on what it is that he has to say, so I did writing when I was a young assistant d a for first seven years of my my time in the d a s office, and that meant that when Particularly when I was in the Homicide Bureau, depending upon how many assistants we had at that particular time, let's say there were seven or eight assistants, that means every seventh or eighth day, you would be on call and you would be available to the police for that 24-hour period. And Tom, I can't tell you how many nights, mornings, afternoons I spent in police precincts talking to defendants and also witnesses because the police would pick up a witness and bring them into the station house and take a statement. And that witness then would be the, that person's statement would be, um, essentially etched in stone on videotape and would be used later on in the event. The witness had a change of heart. You use it to kind of refresh their memory. Um, and, and it, it is, it was a valuable, valuable piece of uh, law enforcement uh, technique to, uh, to master. And, um, and I have to say that it, um, it wasn't easy in the beginning. You know, it was I was nervous. And, and let me just set up what would happen. So if it was a defendant, the detective who had the case would pick up the defendant and uh, bring him or her into the station house. They would then sit in a room and talk to the defendant in the hopes of getting a statement of some kind a confession is the best. But also if the if the person had some sort of an alibi or some other defense that he, he or she wanted to put forward, it gives the detective an opportunity to listen to it and then go out and see if it's actually valid. So the statements were were very important. So the detective would come in, would bring the person in, they'd sit down in a room, he'd be advised or she would be advised of Miranda warnings. and um, And then they would ask questions. So Tell us where you are on this particular night. And the detective would then go through the entire event or the entire statement that this defendant wanted to make, asking pertinent questions. Now, the detectives were interested in essentially one thing, getting enough evidence from this statement, if it's a defendant, (coughs) to be able to use it as the basis for an arrest to clear a case. The prosecutors were looking for not only that, but to make sure that the statement was good enough to play in front of a jury at a trial if the defendant, as I said before, didn't plead guilty to to the crime. So essentially what you have to do and what's very important as a prosecutor is not to, is to ask questions that are, I don't want to, I'll use the term open-ended, but I don't really mean it that open-ended. You can't lead a witness. You can't say, mm-hmm. so tell me at this particular time, uh, you picked up an axe and what did you do with the axe? You can't ask those kind of questions. Because that would be the defense attorneys that would the defense attorney would use that and say, it wasn't my client who was confessing. He was intimidated and just just responding to the DA based on those kinds of questions and and giving the DA what he had um what he was looking for. So you have to be able to ask questions that are open-ended enough so that later on when you argue to a jury, you can say to them, look, I didn't lead this defendant to tell me that he shot this individual. I simply asked him a question, what happened on the corner that night? And he then told us that he got into an argument and took out a gun and shot this particular individual because they were fighting over money or over a woman or over, you know, I had cases where people were fighting over a bottle of beer, you know? So it was, it, it, it was really bad. And when I first started in the DA's office, so that is what you learn. You learn how to frame the, 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 the questions so that you get a voluntary statement out of the, individual as opposed to a statement in which the defendant is just simply answering yes or no. So did for instance, you don't really ask a question like, so did you take out a gun and shoot this guy on the corner last night? Yes. Did you uh take that gun and throw it into the East River after you got done? Yes. Those questions are no good because essentially I'm feeding him all the information and all he's doing is answering yes or no, or whatever the short answer is, that does me no good at a trial. If you ask the question, as I said before, so tell me about what happened on the corner uh, last night at 10 o'clock. And now he goes into this whole story. Well, the defendant can't say that, um, you know, the prosecutor or the questioner led him into the answer. So it's very, very important to frame questions that way. And I got to tell you, I have been in situations where um, I have done cases in which there were videotape confessions, some taken by me and some taken by by others, others of my colleagues. And and the and, and the, the 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 witness, although on the state on the tape confesses and gives a great statement in terms of, you know, uh, for a prosecutor, they'll say. At trial, I'll get on the stand and say, well, you know, he intimidated me. You didn't see it, but he intimidated me. You know, the cops worked me over before I, I got, he got to the room. And then I had nothing to do except just answer yes or no to what, uh, uh, just agree with what he said, because he was feeding me the answer or the cops fed me the answer. I've had that happen. So you have to be very careful that you close off every avenue or as po- as much as possible anyway, of this defendant sneaking out of this, this confession or statement that he's given to, to the police. Now, one of one of the things that you also have to keep in mind is that a favorite of a defendant, after he's confessed and he goes back to jail, favorite defense later on, goes back to jail, and all of these people in jail start to talk to him, and he tells them, that he confessed. And they say, essentially, oh, are you crazy? What did you do that for? Well, this is, some of them are, are very, you know, very uh, experienced at this stuff. And they'll say, well, here's what you need to say. You know, if you go to trial, you got to say that the cops, you know, beat you up before the prosecutor showed up or the cops fed you all the information about the case. And you were told that if you didn't agree that you were going to get your ass kicked in the cell by the cops after it was over, that kind of stuff. Right. So that's happened. And it happened in, you know, one of the cases we talked about, it happened in the, the case involving the murder on the bridge with the, the young girl who was killed by Raymond Vargas. Vargas, if you remember, was picked up by the cops, but he was, I'm sorry, was being looked at and looked for, you know, in terms of an arrest by the cops, for another entirely different crime. He was look, they were looking for him because he killed his best friend after he stole his wallet and credit cards, etc. And only when, when Vargas's girlfriend got into the police car to go with them to the location where she was supposed to meet him and set him up for the cops. Did she mention that he had killed this, this young girl on the Williamsburg bridge? The cops were as shocked as, as anyone. And, um, So when they arrested him and they brought him back to the precinct, he, I believe, that he was so overwhelmed with guilt that he voluntarily just spewed everything that that he had in him regarding this little girl who he had killed on the bridge. He had information that only someone who had been there and done this would have had. It's not the kind of thing that he could have picked up the newspaper from years before and learned what what had happened because the cops weren't releasing detailed information. And he had it. He had it all, and it was all on videotape. All of it
0: is. Sorry to interrupt. No, go <clears> right <throat> is, is there any what? What is like the truth behind? Or, I don't even know what the truth is. It's um, the idea that, you know, confessing, right? You could say, like, kind of like, wet behind the ears, like, you know, guys like me that have never really been in trouble. Or, let's say I'm like 15. It's always like, you know, someone like me, like, my conscience is always like, yeah, just tell the truth. Just tell, like, I've been pulled over. Maybe it's just because I'm a, you know, white privilege. Maybe it's because I'm a white male. I've been pulled over like 10 times in my life. i've got i've gotten one ticket and it's because every time when the cop says do you know why i pulled you over i said because i was speeding i'm not well well i guess i i was speeding why are you speeding i was taking a gamble see if i could get home quicker i'm just like they go through this bullshit all day every day with people it's the same doctors lawyers construction workers moms it's it's everyone just feeding them the same bullshit oh i I didn't see that. No, I'm not gonna fucking lie to you, man. I'm driving from Atlanta back to Athens. I've driven this a thousand times. I know what the speed limit is. Just trying to get home a little early. Why? Because I wanted to get home a little early. Okay. Nine out of ten times, I'm so not much even exaggerating. Nine, so nine out of ten times they go. All right, man. Well, thank you for being honest, Thomas. License okay. Blah 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 blah. My point right. is, is now that's a speeding ticket. It's something more. You know, you someone like me, my experience is say yeah, just tell the fucking truth. And I could have 10 tickets, but I have one. Whereas other people say is, it doesn't matter if you didn't do anything wrong. Don't give them anything. They're not here to help you. They're here to win a case. They want to put one on, you know, they want to put another notch on their win board. When it comes down to anything illegal, like I saw a video of a guy who got caught selling meth. They're like, what is that? He's like, meth. Are you selling it? He's like, yeah. They're like, why? He's like, hit hard times you just told the truth and all the comments in the video are like you fucking idiot like there is no there's no romantic if you tell the truth they'll help you out they're just gonna hit you just as hard so there's there's no benefit to as opposed to
1: Okay. No, let me, let me just – I okay. I, think I can answer if I finish okay. what I was about to say about Vargas. Okay. So Vargas gives this confession. He does exactly what you are saying. Oh, Jesus. He confesses. He gets it off his chest. In fact, the cops used to always say to me when I was a you know young, wet, behind-the-ears assistant <laughs> DA, they would say – I would say, why would this guy confess to you? Yeah. He, he, or make that statement to you, and the detective would look at me and say that's why they call it confession. It gets, it unburdens this particular guy. He's killed this young little girl on a bridge and he's been living with it. In fact, if you remember correctly, I told you that he said he, she used to come to him every
0: night. Yeah.
1: So he, he unburdens himself. He tells the truth, the entire truth. Then he goes back to jail, speaks to his buddies and they say exactly what you said. Those other people told you, are you crazy? What are you doing that for? Then he speaks to his lawyer and his lawyer says, are you out of your mind? What have you done? You have, you've confessed. So now they have to come up with the, the excuse as to why he did it. And that was because this was a big case. This is the defendant now, big case. And they fed me all the information. They were under a lot of pressure to to solve it. I was, you know, I was the fall guy and they gave me all this information. That's what the. And why did he have to do that? Because he made the mistake of confessing to the police and then to an assistant district attorney on videotape. So, if I were to advise you now, in terms of these speeding tickets, why, you know, why I stopped you? He's answering that question. So, you can confess to him right there, right there. And now you can never say at any time that. Oh, I know. I I, I never said anything like that. I never did anything like I never because now these guys are wearing they wearing body cameras. So Mm -hmm. your confession, if you later on were in a position where a judge said to you, I'm taking your driver's license away from you now. If you hadn't confessed, well, maybe, you know, there was a way you could have fought this ticket and, and won. But you're stuck. So the answer is to anybody when I was a defense attorney is keep your mouth shut. The police <laughs> are not your friends. They are not in this to help you out. They just aren't. I'll give you an example. I had a family member who was coming home from work. gets into his car is is driving home and gets stopped by the police. Right? He had he they he they said he said, "What why did you stop me?" They said, "Well, you know, you uh, look like you were um, you went through a light maybe, and you looked like you were driving erratically. He said, "What are you talking about?" And they said, "Well, you know what? You gotta, you gotta you're gonna have to go back to the station house with us and take a, a breathalyzer test because we think that you're you're drunk." Now keep in mind, he passed the the on the street walking in the line all this other stuff, but they took him back to the precinct. Why? Because they needed to justify this stop. And you know what the cops did to him at the precinct? They told him refuse to blow don't take the breathalyzer test and they he thought well you know these are cops they're telling me the right thing to do i'm probably gonna walk out of here don't take that well you know what happened he didn't walk out he had to go to court anyway and he had his license suspended because in new york if you don't take the breathalyzer test your license is suspended until you have a hearing at the uh at traffic court so the cops are not your friends And you make their job easy for them if you were to confess. And cops pull all kinds of tricks. That one thing about, oh, Thomas, you know why I stopped you? Sounds like a nice guy. Well, you know what? I'm telling the, this is you thinking, telling the truth. He's going to say, you know, thanks for telling me the truth. I'll I'll let you go. No, that's not going to happen. And just think about it. If you multiply it and the crime is something like a murder. And you think you're in a precinct and you're sitting in a room and a hey, cop A comes in and he says, Hey, you want a, you want a, a cup of coffee? You want something to eat? You want the, you know, we just, we just want to, you know, get your side of the story. Now this guy is thinking, Oh, you know what? Maybe these guys, I can talk my way out of this. That's exactly what kind of thinking the cops want, because what's going to happen next is you're going to spill your guts. And even if a guy doesn't confess to actually doing it, but if he says enough to corroborate what other witnesses have told the police, then that confession is as deadly as if it I'm sorry, that statement is as deadly as if it was a confession.
0: Sure. Sure. And, and and I get that. And I'm not saying what, what I'm saying is it doesn't apply to murder. And for me, it's like, I, yeah, no, fuck them. It, like, that's a murder. Like, you, you, you're you kind of fucked. I'm talking about. So we're saying all this, and I do agree with you. They're not your friends. They're not here to help you. But I also, you know, if, if, if 10 people tell you, Mike, that Tommy, that Tommy is a motherfucker. He's going to, you're going to do an episode with him. He's going to upload it, and he's going to edit it so you sound like an asshole. And all these people tell you this, all these other ex-podcasters with experience, and you're going, oh, shit. But then in the back of your mind, you're going, wait, wait, wait. wait. But I've I've done seven episodes with them. It's pretty cool. You know, he text me on Christmas. You know, we're always, you know, like, right. what's up, man? How's the family? You're blah, blah, blah. So what I'm saying is like, but from my experiences, 90%. Actually, the one time I didn't do that is the time I got a ticket. And this isn't in one area. This is, this is in different states over the course of a decade. Nine times I got out of it. So like. Okay, I'm going from but you, my direct experience that I'm
1: like, it's time. worked every time. You're talking about, number one, you're talking about stopping someone for a, a, a traffic ticket. Okay. Well, yeah. A well, that, and that's as all, and that's what, what I'm limiting crime. it to. That's what I'm limiting it to. Okay. Well, I'm not going to disagree with you that being polite to the officer at a traffic stop of some kind may not, may, may be, get, may get you out of the ticket. That's sure. happened to me as well. I understand that. Just being polite. But I would never answer that question. Do you know why I stopped you? Sure. The answer should be, not really. Why did you stop me? And
0: okay. then when he
1: says you were speeding, say, I I, I wasn't speeding. You know, you, you I was not speeding. That's the way to do it because now with those body cameras, those are sure. those are small little confessions, Tom. Yeah. Okay now, but the police and i and listen for my entire law enforcement career, I wanted to be on that end, the end of the cop, getting the person who I believed was the perpetrator to tell me what he or she had done, yeah, that's what I wanted to do, and you know, you ask and you do what's necessary to try to get out of them a valid confession, one according to the law, I'm not talking about. You know, hitting a guy over the back of the head and then walking in a room after he's been hit and say, "Okay, tell me what you did. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about doing it by the book, Miranda warnings and then questioning, not anything else. And those confessions, those statements, even if they're not confessions, can be the most valuable piece of evidence that you have in a trial. And you know the guys that I dealt with were bad guys, Tom. Yeah, they were bad guys. In, a, in a homicide bureau, they were basically all murderers. Yeah. In rackets, I had murderers, con artists, all kinds of people who you know were 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 the defendants. So it, um, you know, it's a it's a tool that law enforcement uses, and it's a very valuable tool. But you know, people are starting to. There, it's, there are so many stories now about bad stories about the cops. There are so many TV sure. shows that show cops, you know, tricking people into doing certain things or saying certain things that people are getting more savvy. Yeah, They're not necessarily opening up the way they used to in the past in terms of, of confessing. But the one thing that I would, as a defense attorney, and as a, and a, a, someone who was speaking to a client my advice is, say nothing. Okay. Keep your mouth shut. Don't say anything, because almost always nothing good can come of what you're of what you're saying.
0: Sure. Uh, <clears throat> now, because I'm a stubborn asshole, and I'm going to keep arguing. <laughs> when you hear about guys, you go to jail, and they go, "Oh no, 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 no! You got to go back. Got to say the cop bumped your head on the." on the on the squad car you gotta say they beat you up you gotta know, oh okay okay there has to be some truth to these guys are so these law enforcement officers and attorneys there there's got to be some even if it's not like a written thing there's got to be some truth to just you're so tired of these assholes just stretching the system out just abusing oh he hit me it's because i'm mexican it's a uh, blah blah he gave me a black guy he said a, that there i would imagine maybe i am just wet behind the ears you gotta imagine that there is some appreciation for someone that's and again i'm not saying murder or yeah i know i embezzled 100k there has to be some appreciation for someone that's just not trying to pull a fast one on you you know, but I I did security. I've done security several summers. Seven summers ago, I was doing it in Ocean City, and I was I was watching over like in a uh, like an apartment block for all these kids that came down for like their senior week. They're all 18 and 19. I knew they were drinking. I knew they were smoking pot. I didn't give a shit if they made my night easy. I made theirs easy. So if I would knock on the door and be like, "Hey man, get, we're not drinking," I'd be like, "Dude, just don't lie to me." Every once in a while, someone would be like, "Sorry, dude, I never drink," drinking. I was just you know I'm excited. It's my 18th birthday. I appreciate it, dude. And I would just shut the door. i be like, I got it. Granted, that's me. I'm not a. I'm not a police officer. Is there not some appreciation for someone that just doesn't tug your dick? And is just like, no, nah, I was being a dick. Or is that all? Again, is that all idyllic? Do I just need to keep my mouth shut?
1: Look, here's what the way I would answer. <laughs> as
0: that. my attorney, Mister Vecchio, here's,
1: here's the way I would answer that. If you <laughs> get stopped like you described, and the cop says to you, as you have said, you know why I stopped you. If you say to him. I really don't. Sorry. Now you're being polite, right? And if he tells you that I stopped you because you were you were speeding, there is no reason in the world for you to say, "Yeah, well, you know, you're right. I did I did." Because now it's recorded. He's got that that camera on. Now he's between he he can't do anything except a Sure. give you a summons or arrest you. Okay. If you had said nothing and listened to what he had to say, and you didn't give him a hard time or you gave him your license and registration and said, you know, sorry, I, I, I'm not sure exactly what. It's, and you're polite to him. Well, then without the confession, he might go back to his car, look and see you have no record and come back and say, all right, be careful. Slow okay. down. okay, Walk away. So you see the difference? The difference I is did. the confession puts the cop in a bad situation because he then is open to, to criticism for letting you go. Okay. Right. He has the discretion to do that, but he may have a prick of a boss at the station house who said, Hey, you know, what are you doing? This is what you're out there for. That kind of thing. So you can be polite. And I would, and I would say to anybody who's listening to this, do not ever give, a cop a hard time never under any circumstance at all if you are being quote unquote investigated or stopped or whatever you don't give them a hard time you only lose with regard to that you know yeah. you may very well just be sent on your way but if you start hassling these guys and you start getting into if you get physical forget about it you know you're getting arrested yeah but you know the idea is keep your mouth shut nothing good comes from the statement or okay. I, I, I'll, I'll temper that by saying ninety nine point nine percent, nothing good comes from it. There may be that one tenth of one percent that that says, you know, you he'll let you go. But
0: okay, I've, i I there. Okay, I get the distinction you're making now because all the times that happened to me, that was between. <sighs> It was between like 2010, so not quite a decade. It was actually probably like five years between 2010 and maybe 2015 or 2016 is when this happened. So over six years, it might have been before they all had body cams. So now, if they do have a body cam and I go, "Yeah, I was speeding," and now he doesn't give me a ticket, well, now it's like, "Well, shit! All we need is for this to leak." Cop not giving a a straight white male a ticket, like then he has the confession why do yeah. I get it so now you put me in a hard place you just told me that I so like working at a liquor store if someone says do you need my id even if they're 90 when they say that you now have to say yes if they don't say anything you might maybe not ask them cuz they look 40 and it's midnight and you're tired and you I don't fucking care just yeah yeah give me the money but if they say
1: yeah. Hey. it's okay. CYA. you cover your ass, right? That's okay. What,
0: I got you. I so. got what you're saying now. Okay. But but the, keep your mouth I don't shut. Want,
1: But I want you to understand that it is totally legitimate. It's totally within the law for police officers, detectives, prosecutors to question and seek to get a statement and or confession out of a defendant. Just has to be done according to the rules. But that's that is it's an enormous, enormous piece of valuable piece of of evidence to a solving the crime correctly by getting the right person. It's hard to believe. There are times when people confess to things, even though they didn't do it. And there's a whole host of psychological reasons for that. But, you know, it's a it's it's a way of, of of guaranteeing for the most part that we have the right guy. And that the right guy goes to goes to trial. So, yeah. um, it's uh, you know, it's it's. <laughs> although I got to tell you, I give me an example. I did a case once where a cop was killed. He was off duty, and he was sitting on his motorcycle. His girlfriend had gone into a store to buy some uh, some sodas or juice or whatever. It was July Fourth. It was the night of July Fourth, and he was off duty, and they were having a good time, and. She went into the store, bought, you know, bought some stuff. And while she was in the store, a guy came up to the cop on a motorcycle and he was in his own neighborhood. He lived in this area and worked in this area and um, and said, I want your bike. And the cop began to, you know, uh, resist and he shot him in the head, killed him. And the bike fell over. The cop fell over. the the bad guy grabbed the handlebars and other parts of the bike and tried to pick it up so he could steal it. And um, it was too heavy and he let it go. There were three eyewitnesses outside who identified this guy. His fingerprints were on the bike. And when the cops brought him in, he confessed to me. I took the statement on videotape, confessed to me everything, corroborated everything that the three witnesses said. I s- admitted to me that he took the handle, took the bike and touched it. And that was those were, his fingerprints were left on there. And I asked him, I said, what'd you do with the gun? He said, well, and he told me where the gun was. And I sent the detective out who got the gun. And while we were still in the station house, he brought it in and the bad guy identified the gun. That's the gun I used. I gave it to this particular place and the detective found it there. I went to trial. <laughs> this is as locked a confession as you could possibly get. And I didn't get, I got a hung jury. It's the first man. time I tried the case. Well, it was a, it was a racial thing. Okay. And um, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. It was not even, you know, the, the, it was, the cop was an African-American hero for that neighborhood. The defendant was African-American. I couldn't figure out what the problem was. I found out later on because I talked to some of the jurors in the first case. That the the judge said to me, "When can you be ready to retry the case?" I said, I, "I can try the case tomorrow." That's how how good the case was. Two weeks later, we started the trial, ended it. Fifteen minutes after the judge sent the jury in, I had a verdict that convicted the guy. Now this is with a confession that was airtight, airtight. So I'm telling you this because. Even though you have a confession, it's a part of what you use at a trial and what detectives use to close a case out. But even with the confession in this particular case, with the three eyewitnesses, with his fingerprints, with the fact that he was a neighborhood guy who became a cop and who was patrolling his own, his own neighborhood where he grew up, he was a hero in that neighborhood. I still couldn't get a confession out of the first jury, but of course later on, all of that became so valuable to me because the jury in the second trial said, "Mr. Vecchione, are you kidding me? What else were we going to do? I mean, you, you, we had, we knew he did it. Look at all the evidence you had, you know, lined up against him. So, uh, you know, I guess I'm telling you this just to temper a little bit the idea that statements and confessions will will guarantee. Because there's no guarantees in the law. Sure. You just, there aren't any, you know, you, you really can't, but you have to do as much as you possibly can to, to a, uh, you know, to, to, to build a, a strong case. One other thing I got to tell you, you know, yeah, in yeah. terms of confessions and what it's, what's important is in addition to the words, the atmosphere and the conditions under which a statement or an interrogation is done is very, very important. For obvious reasons, I mentioned some before, you know, you can't have you can't have a videotape confession that a guy gives you in a room that is surrounded, the entire room is surrounded by cops, six foot two, three cops, you know, <laughs> hanging <laughs> around. You can't do it. Yeah. Or you, you can't have, you know, you can't have other things that might impact later on the validity of the confession. You gotta be very, very careful. I did a case once and um, it's in a book. It's the Amy Watkins case. And um, when the, I didn't take this confession, but I was watching it as it was being done. A colleague of mine took it because I was going to try the case. So I had to put the, the confession into evidence using another assistant DA. So he took the confession and it was one of these confessions that matched every single piece of evidence that we had. We had an eyewitness, I'm sorry, uh, uh, one of his friends, conf- he confessed to her about killing this young girl, etc. And it, everything matched. When we went, went to trial, I played the videotape at the trial. And in the background, there is there you could hear a child crying and screaming. I thought absolutely nothing of it didn't make a difference to me because I was there. I knew there was no kid in the room. So to me, it was outside noise. And we had it was a it was a a summer afternoon. The windows in in the room were open. It was a busy street that the precinct was on. And that's, you know, as I was preparing the case, it meant nothing to me. I didn't even think of it. The defense attorney, when the case, when it was played, made a big deal of asking the cop and asking the assistant DA who took the confession about where's where were the defendants were the defendant's children in the precinct. And it so happened his wife was notified that he was under arrest and she brought her kid in. They were way outside the room with the door closed. But his point was he was trying to sell the jury on the idea that his client confessed because he heard and believed that his kid was being harmed and treated poorly by the detectives and hurt, and that's what the screaming was. Tom, it had not nothing could be further from the truth. It was, a, as I said before, a summer day. There were kids out on the street. They were playing. It was. It was just. Normal street noise in Brooklyn—that's something that you hear here all the time. But here's a confession that otherwise was perfect. Yet this little bit that nobody else recognized, except the defense attorney, because he knew that he was looking for anything. He had to find anything to try to get his client out from under this horrible confession, and that's what he used. So, so here it is—an interrogation that, on all you know, at, at first blush, is perfect. Perfect. That little bit of noise threatened. If you had the wrong person on the jury, that little bit of noise could have threatened the outcome of the of the case. If they felt that the cops, you know, were doing something to this kid, this guy's kid, to get him to force him to to give a statement, and um, so it's uh, it, there are lots of lots of little things that you have to worry about when you're taking these confessions and doing these interrogations that may not necessarily be apparent to you when you're doing them, but you learn. And from that point on, I would never do another interrogation or confession like this in, in a room that had a window open. I didn't do it. I learned, you know, I just, um, I said, let's, we'll, we'll go to an interior room where there are no windows.
0: Probably want a room like this, right? Well, (laughs) if
1: you, yeah, but the police don't have rooms like
0: that. Sure. Yeah, I get it. I get it.
1: You know, and, and it was, um, it was an eye-opening experience. I I had never, you know, that, that was something that, and it was a very important case. It was a case that I wanted because this young woman was killed. In the neighborhood that I grew up in, and I knew the street that she she was killed on, and it was a very important case to me. And it took a year from the time of her death to to uh, come up with the defendants, and um, and here we were, and I was, <laughs> I was I was flabbergasted when this guy did this. I had to you know find a way to, I had to call the cop back to the stand and ask him about you know what was going on, and and I could have made more of it than I did, but I felt that if I did too much. That a jury may say, well, why is he, you know, defending this so much? Maybe there's something to it. I just kind of had the detective say no and that was it. And then I argued in summation that it was preposterous for for him to believe that. Uh or for anybody to believe that they would torture this kid's this guy's kid to to get a statement, you know. So, um, what? so yeah. interrogations are 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 good, but they can be they can backfire on you.
0: Sure. What are the, are there like, uh, you good for like another like 10, 10, 15 minutes? Mm-hmm. What yes. are like the pharmacological implications of, of interrogation? So there's like, you know, you can't have the guys in the room. You can't have them surrounded by a bunch of good old boys, a bunch of 6'2 guys, right? With the batons and right. billy clubs. You can't torture the kid. You can't X, Y, and Z. What are pharmacological implications? Let's say Vargas gets arrested and let's say he's pissed drunk or we know Vargas was a junkie. Right. And you go in there and like a BAC or below something, can you say, I was drunk, man. I wasn't thinking right. It, it Could that almost be an extension of insanity and in that you weren't in your
1: right mind? Oh, sure. Sure. That's why, excuse me. You're That's good. why you, if you're doing this, you you and when I say you I'm talking about the detectives, the prosecutors, the one thing that that has to be certain you have to be certain about is that he is a or she is not under the influence of drugs, alcohol, or is capable of understanding what is going on. So you're not a psychologist or a psychiatrist, but you have a pretty good idea if someone is, you know, is 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 trying to pull the wool over your eyes or is really nuts because what could happen is you go forward if you're uncertain you get a good confession or a good statement and then later on it comes back to bite you in the ass because you didn't really pay attention to perhaps our alcohol level his alcohol level was high or there was you know under the influence or the person was you know psychologically unfit to to take a, you know, take a confession or give a confession. So you have to be careful of that.
0: Now, are there like safeguards against that? Because let's say I'm a sleaze ball and I'm trying to get out of it. Do I say it's almost like the inverse? Be like, they didn't give me a breathalyzer before we went in there, but I was, and maybe this is two weeks later, but I was really drunk that day and I wasn't thinking right. And then there's no way that they could. I'm just putting my mind in the mind okay. of a squirmy well, is- sleaze ball.
1: There, that's very possible. But here's what the great equalizer is: you're on videotape.
0: Maybe I can the hold my The confession
1: is on videotape, so you better be a great actor on that videotape. Because if you don't think of this defense while you're confessing, and someone tells you later on that, well, just say you were drunk, you didn't understand it. Well, that videotape is not going to support your your uh, you know your defense. So. That's one of the ways of doing it. And and that's one of the reasons that and I mean, there are many reasons to do it on videotape, but that is one of the one of the reasons. I'll give you another example. Someone says the cops beat this out of me. Right. Well, you can't say that if the cops and the technician who's working with the DA's office, the cameraman, the cops have the guy take his clothes off. And nice. take. Yeah, pictures, pictures of him in the front, the back, the side, his face close up with absolutely no no bruises. Well then the argument is gone. And we've done that. We've done that. Cops smart detectives who can size up a guy in terms of what his you know his defense may be will do exactly that. And I've had that. And I've had that. And there were there was a couple of cases where that happened and I'll tell you, the the pictures and the video was was that va- was invaluable invaluable and one guy did it and he tried to sell it to a jury even though the videotape was up close because it's not the kind of thing where it's like you know you and i the only the defendant is on the videotape it's not like the the prosecutor is on or the cops are on it's only so you're right on the guy's face and if he says that you know, he was getting beaten, or someone was giving him information, and and he doesn't look away at the cop, or doesn't look up, or doesn't look, you know, to the side. Well, that's a hard sell. What? Who who is he? Who is he getting the information from if he wasn't turning his head or looking in a certain direction other than at the camera? So yeah. you know, you learn. This is part of the things that you learn that you have to cut off as many of these possible defenses as you can. yeah Yeah, you have to you know it's an orchestration and yeah i don't mean an orchestration in the sense that it's staged it's an orchestration in terms of making sure that things are are properly done so
0: no i get you i get you on that and i guess it would also it also kind of comes down to like the scope of the investigation right i mean if this is yeah some jackass in brooklyn who's you know arguing over a bottle of beer versus is this I don't know, like the CEO of Enron, or is this like a former secretary of defense? Like there's probably different, you know, I would imagine you'd have a team of lawyers. I'm just, again, looking at from my mind, I've got a team of lawyers and I'm going, I want them to look at the camera. I want them to look at the coding software, go through it. Did they edit anything out? I do a podcast. If I wanted to, I could stealthily edit something. You would go in, but then it also, you have to assume that that's super, like you just said, the police precinct doesn't have a room like this. I would imagine yeah. at Langley, they probably do.
1: Well, the they probably do. But what yeah. we used to, we used to make sure a, that there was a, <coughs> there was a clock in the okay. video, in the, in the screen. I got you. So that
0: Editing, you start, yeah.
1: you announce it is now 10 AM and we're beginning. Okay. And then at the end you, you, you have the technician shoot right onto the clock and, you announce it is now 12 noon and we are ending this interrogation. So now you turn it over to the defense attorney. He's going to play it. He'll see that it's two hours or he'll see the camera. I mean, see the you know the clock on the um, on the wall and know that that's what we did. So, you know, that's another thing that you had to you have to remember to to do. Um, but, you know, not every interrogation is of a guy all by himself. We, you know, I've done in the, in the, in in the stuff in Crooked Brooklyn, the judges, one particular judge and a lawyer, he was stupid enough to come in and not ask for another, for his own representation, this guy, Semenovsky. And if I was representing him, I would have said, are you out of your mind? How could you have done that? But he was looking to cut a deal. So he felt that he could cut the deal by himself, you know, but of course, you know, the saying, right, a lawyer represents himself as an ass for a client. And, um, and he did not, he cut a deal, he did, and it was a pretty good deal. But what happened is the judge in that case wound up being so pissed off at him that he couldn't let him go without, uh, even though I asked for probation, the judge sent him to jail for a little while. But the judge in that case, had a lawyer with him. So there are interrogations where you have representation and the lawyer the to me the lawyer's job once they sit down at the table and the detective or the prosecutor starts to ask questions particularly when he ends the miranda warnings the next thing that the defendant should say or the defendant's lawyer would say we have nothing to say and and walk out with the Garson case in, in Crooked Brooklyn, that's not what happened. The defense attorney said, after I gave the Miranda warnings to the to him, said, well, let me talk to him. I came out and the defense, I went out of the room, came back in. The defense attorney said, he, um, he says you have nothing. So he says you have nothing. I said, okay, here's what we do. I wheeled in a TV set. We had at that time a VCR. We had this on tape, and I played a piece of what he was doing in his chambers, which showed that he was committing this crime.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: After I, only a little bit, I gave him just enough to you know kind of whet his appetite. I went outside. Five minutes later, the defense attorney came back and said to me, "He he's wants to give up this guy, that guy, all kinds of people because he's looking to save his ass." So that's a different kind of an interrogation. There's one with a lawyer there, who Sized it up and was protecting his client and trying to get us to, you know, give this guy a deal in return for talking or giving us information about what had happened. Um, so, yeah. I don't know. You know, I've had that happen. And I was I've been on the defense attorney end of that where you try to get, you know, a deal for your client right at the time when they're questioning him. Um but most of the time, these guys aren't smart enough. At least, you know, you said it before. The guys who have been arrested a million times always know, lawyer, I need a lawyer. But a guy like Tommy, who gets stopped and is brought into a station house, he doesn't have any, anything other than, I want to get out of here, and I, I want to be a nice guy, and I want to tell the cops what they want to know, because I think they're going to let me go. And they sink themselves. They don't ask for a lawyer. Meanwhile, the first thing you need to say is as soon as they give you Miranda is, "I need a lawyer."
0: I need an attorney. What's yeah, it?
1: correct. Sure.
0: I mean, yeah, I I get that. That's uh, it's one thing I like about Zoom is um, you know, I used to jokingly say to people when we'd start recording, I'd be like, "Hey, are you okay if we start recording?" I say, I mean, I so I say it to everyone, "Hey, are you okay if we start recording?" I used to just kind of say it as a joke, just because I was like, I don't want anyone to fuck me for uh for recording without there but now zoom says but another thing about zoom is um is I do I don't always upload that copy because it's not the highest resolution but I do keep the zoom file for every episode I do right, because you on you open it up and what does it say bottom right hand corner day month year uh yeah hour minute second exactly and it has the whole thing and it's I keep an unedited version of that because I've never had anyone do it. This is episode 507, but I'm just guarding my ass because I'm like, I don't know what guest I'm going to have on. And, you know, God willing, this podcast gets bigger and I make some money. I don't know if someone's going to come on here and be like, Tommy showed me his dick. You know, he demanded, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a weird thing. Now,
1: those, those are the, you know, are the things that the prosecutor and cops have to worry about with defendants. They could say anything. Mm -hmm. You know, you're saying that Tom showed me his his, you know, Mm -hmm. his dick. Yeah. Well, the the defendant is the cops beat me up. Yeah. The cops told me that um, you know, they were gonna give me um, you know, they were gonna let me out, or they were gonna let me, you know, go visit my girlfriend before I went into jail, that kind of thing. Well, you know, that's why we had the everything on tape, so that you can't you can't he can't get away with saying that. And when they try to say that it happened before, well, you know, there's nothing you can do to prevent somebody from saying that, except that you have to use what is on the tape and say to a jury, and I've done this, I said, do you think that if that happened before, here's a guy sitting across the desk from a lawyer who says that he can say anything he wants, and he didn't tell him? He had his opportunity, his chance to tell this this lawyer that the cops beat the hell out of him, and he didn't do it, and now he wants you to believe that that happened, and he said nothing about it. And did you see any evidence of it? No. So the videotape is most important, and you're doing the right thing by making sure that you keep the evidence because you can't. Uh, you know, this is a this it's a mean world, there, Tom. You know, yeah.
0: so And it, it's getting anything can happen, and it, and it gets weirder and weirder. It's uh, you know, I would I got banned so many times for uploading videos just simply discussing COVID. And then finally, like two weeks ago, I had on Dr. Robert Malone, the inventor of the mRNA vaccine, the guy. And I had him come on and talk for two hours. And that episode didn't get taken down. And so I was like, oh, maybe something's changing within YouTube. I know there's a class action lawsuit against them for something about violating Section 230. I'm not a lawyer. I don't know. So like two days later, I had on Dr. Mobin Saeed. who has got a channel with like 300,000 people on YouTube. He's a Indian doctor out in California and he gives like online lectures and he's just freakishly brilliant and gives lectures every day about new like variants of uh coronavirus and like their molecular structure and sh- way above my head. I had him on and uh, that one didn't get taken down. And I was like, Oh, I was like, I think there's like a change. It's something's happening. So I went back and I mean, as, as you know uh, or anyone knows that watches this, once I got up to two strikes on YouTube back in like April when I got, what if I get one more strike, I'm permanently done. I just started uploading like 30 second clips of episodes. And I'd be like, go watch the full thing somewhere else. Cause I was like, I don't know what's gonna, what, you know, what straw is going to break the camel's back. Say all of that to say, well, after those two episodes got up, I was like, Oh, something's changing. So I went back and I took all the episodes that I had never fully uploaded. and I started uploading them all. And I was like, Oh, we're in the clear now. And then last night at like 2 a.m., I got the ban hammer and it was like, you've been uploading like you uploaded a video that directly contradicted the World Health Organization and thus you are spreading medical misinformation and that somehow equates to uh, hate speech. The point is, is I don't even know what the playing field is anymore. It's not yeah, a football field with a rectangle. The out of bounds line is is changing. Some quarters Shifting. are... Yeah, yeah. It, the Every quarter isn't 15 minutes anymore. Sometimes, yeah, you get six downs instead of four downs. Exactly, it's like, exactly. So to me, I'm like, I'm just going to record. I'm take a page of the NSA. I'm just going to record everything, dragnet surveillance, and I keep my copies. I've got off-site copies. I've got off-site copies that no one knows about because I don't even know what's going on anymore, yeah. and I have no idea how they're going to try to screw me.
1: No, that's very smart. It's very smart. I, I always felt that when I was questioning someone, my protection was the fact that we were doing it on videotape. Mm -hmm. That was, um, that was it. And, um, you know, it got to the point where, you know, there was a, there was a time when we used to say to the cops, why don't you guys videotape? When you, you guys get confessions and they would, they would have, they would write, the detective would write it down. And, um, for whatever reason they, I I have, I think an answer to that, but I'm not going to, I'm going to keep it to myself, but, uh, but they, they didn't do it. You know, they didn't do it. So, sure. um, but that would be a way for, for the defense. That would be a, a good, I guess, weapon against that charge that the cops did something before the prosecutor got to the station house. You know, that was um, that's, that was always the, you know, the, the Achilles heel of those, those videotapes is, what this guy was going to say about what happened before, you know, before I got there. Um, But you try to, you try to, I I got, I can tell you one other thing Yeah. with this, with that case I told you about with the cop being dead, uh, when he shot the guy would try to steal his motorcycle. I was so, I took a chance, a chance that probably I shouldn't have taken, but I took it. And I said to the defendant at the end of the tape, before I, before I shut the tape off, were you treated well by the police? Yes. Did they promise you anything? No. Did they threaten you in any way? No. Did they give you food? Yes. Did they give you a, whatever you want to drink? Yes. Did they let you use the bathroom? Yes. And when I got back to the office and I showed some of my colleagues the, the videotape, they said, what, are you crazy? would you do that? For? What if he would have said no? it was a calculated, you know, gamble. I had a, such a good feeling about how things were going, you know, that I, I did it. I did it. And, um, and it was, he didn't, his defense was not that he was beaten into the confession. His defense was basically nothing. Some other dude did it, you know, and, um, and he almost got away with it, but you know, we, we tried it again and he got convicted, but um You know, so you you take a chance and I I have a feeling that the the department or the cops don't want to take that chance as far as going on. Because at that point, these guys are agitated, these defendants and who knows what they would say. You know, they they could blow it totally out of out of proportion and then you're really sunk. So, yeah, I took the chance and um, and it, it worked for me. But, you know, I could understand that for others, it wouldn't. But I said, I you know, I, I sized up the situation and knew what I was dealing with before I, before I did that. So, um, do,
0: you, do you think we're going to see a? Uh, do you think we're going to? This is kind of all now wild speculation from this moment forward. Mr. V- Vecchio and myself are not doctors. Do you think we're going to see? Is there going to be some weird precedents or, or legal cases of, um, of people knocking on doors? with vaccines and it's for everyone listening i've said this before this is nothing about being anti-vax when i wasn't allowed to talk about the election that's all i talked about until they stopped caring that's just that's just me being an arrogant asshole right you know as soon as you tell me tom you know keep your mouth shut what do i do for 20 minutes i try to like are that's just what that's why i'm sure that's why i gave my parents gray hairs so for me i just i'm always trying to play the devil's advocate do you think we're gonna see there's got to be some sort of legal clashes coming of like – because one of like the talking points on like the memos for people knocking on doors is um is uh, ignore no soliciting signs. And you're seeing people say it's going to get weird in states like Texas or Florida when there's like – what is it like castle rules or castle doctrine or you can defend your property with lethal force. The tension is already thick enough in this country that, I mean, it's like a match. You could drop one in the forest and it's going to go up. Do you think some weird things are going to come with it? And let me preface that by saying I know that's a hot button issue and you don't have to answer that if you don't
1: want no, to. No, I, I have an answer because I not. Sure. I don't know, but I think that it's it's a very simple situation. Somebody knocks on your door, you don't want to be bothered. You just don't answer the door.
0: And that's um, that's pretty much
1: my logic. That's, that's pretty much, that's it. You know, that's it. You don't have to answer the door. And um, and it's not that even if you did answer the door, it's not like someone's going to jab. Yeah. Yeah. So I understand that. Yeah. Very simple situation. So if but that doesn't account for the people who are, you know, who are so upset and hot in this country over many different issues to take it out on these people who are simply trying to you know, yes. educate you about it. So yes. that's why I say, I don't know, but it's certainly possible, but it's a simple solution. Yeah. So answer the door.
0: Yeah. I, I, I always try to stay aware of myself and my biases and, you know, try not to pearl clutch. It's like, dude, these are, these are like moms and dads who are just fuck it. Yeah. Sure. Let's walk around in canvas and knock. on. I get it. I don't want it. And it's cool. If someone knocked on my door, it'd be, I wouldn't answer the door. And if I did answer the door, I'd just say, oh, uh, no, thank you. No, thank you. It's not that it's, so I try not, I try to stay aware and not pearl clutch. There's no, it's not some FBI HRT team. They're not banging down your door with a gun made out of syringes. It's, it's, I get that. It's, but my point is, is so I can stay calm. You're very, you're clearly a, a calm, collected, wise individual. There are people who are, They're looking for. Or different. Different. Yes. They're the people that wake up, right? I post something (laughs) online and I see comments on my videos of you're a moron. I have a very simple doctrine that's just called don't engage. I don't engage anyone. All I do is I leave leave the little heart on every comment. That's all I do. That's my interaction.
1: It kind of goes back to what I said to you before about the traffic stop.
0: Keep your mouth shut.
1: Just be polite. Yeah. That's it. Don't give any information. Just be polite.
0: But there, you know, are you know, there are going to. It's like those people that like erect statues of like Satan and Baphomet and like downtown like Seattle, just to test their First Amendment rights. And hey, I'm all for it. It's that. Hey, that's that's not my cup of tea. Satan's not my cup of tea. But for people that do want to erect a statue of a a goat holding a child and whatever, hey, that's your First Amendment. That's your First Amendment. But there are those people that it's like, as much as like I, you know, a a white conservative male even though I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, you can do that. The vast majority of people kind of just beneath the skin are like, but I mean, why do you, you really got to push the buttons. Like, you know, yeah. technically right. I could walk around with a 357 on my hip for everyone to see like that is legal. Do you got to be that guy? There are people who do want to press, you know, get up right in front of your face an inch away. I'm legally not touching you. It's and uh real quick question again, and then I'll let you go. I'm holding you hostage is did Jeffrey Epstein kill himself? <laughs> do you think so i mean and i I can edit this out if you don't want the CIA killing you
1: <laughs> do I think so I, I i once again, how would i have i i, I don't, wild spec-
0: wild speculation I'm just asking you
1: I think it's very possible that he could have, and I think it's very possible he could have been murdered i i don't um, <laughs> you know i I really don't know. And quite frankly, even more importantly, Tom, I don't care.
0: Yeah, me neither. I don't give a fuck. I
1: I could give a flying fuck about Jeffrey Epstein and what happened to him. Yeah, he
0: he was killed by the CIA. And it's like, well, listen, man, this is how I kind of look at it. Either he was a pedophile running a human trafficking ring of kids as a way to blackmail and compromise world diplomats. In which case, fuck him. And if that wasn't true then he's just a pedophile in which case I don't care if he was killed or if he killed himself. Well,
1: both mean, of them I mean, could be true.
0: Or it's yeah it's it's either he's a pedophile that just killed himself in which case I don't give a fuck or he was running a blackmail human trafficking ring for world diplomats in order for the US to exert our power in different countries and then the CIA killed him. In which case this is so far over my pay grade. I don't want anything to do with it. Exactly. It's, uh, it's,
1: it's... It's useless to spend any time thinking about it. Oh, it's right.
0: it's it's fun though. It's yeah. if you do a podcast, it's fun. I I, I well
1: for you, you gotta have topics. I, yeah. I understand that. Yeah, understand yeah, 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 yeah. It's but it's, for me, it's very easy to say what I said. I don't know. Yeah, and I don't, I don't care. And,
0: and I, I, don't, I, I don't. give a shit. Yeah, exactly. exactly. I had on. I had on. Will Arkin yesterday, uh, a best-selling author, and uh, I think he was Army intelligence. I've had him on three times now, and I ask him at the end. I always ask him, "Like, what do you think about like UFO sightings?" And he goes, "He goes, I think it's the United States technology." He goes, "I really do," and he goes, "It might be flying saucers from a different world." He goes, "But Tommy, I'll be honest. Frankly, I don't give a shit. Like, gas gas prices are up, and I'm hungry, and I got to go pick my daughter up. I don't. I got a lot going (laughs) on, and that's kind of my logic. But this one's kind of ventured off into the weeds, Mister Vecchione, author of Behind the Murder Curtain." Murder on the bridge. No. Killer. No. Burn yeah. on, on the bridge. Hand to the killer. Crooked Brooklyn and friends, friends of, the of the family. Got them all. I'll put those in the description. And um, yeah, man. Until next and time. And soon,
1: homicide, homicide is, is my business.
0: I was going to say, you need to turn it into alliteration. You got to be like, homicide is my
1: hobby. Uh, it's a direct quote from the okay. band. Okay. Damn it. All right. Well, he fuck said to, He said well, it to me. He said it to. <laughs> At a congressional hearing, he testified at Ronald Reagan's uh, commission against on organized crime, and he was one of the witnesses, and that's where he, that's where that came from.
0: I've had on a guy twice now whose dad was a mob hitman back in the 60s and 70s in New Orleans, and his mom, who met his dad through the clubs, his mom was a woman of the night for none other than Jack Ruby
1: okay <laughs> very good
0: getting a little hairy but uh
1: yeah that's pretty cool
0: i've kept you for 20 minutes longer than i said i would so i apologize for that but um, oh i
1: look forward to the next time give me a call yeah. anytime I'm fuck be yeah happy man
0: to- i'll shoot you a text we'll schedule the next one and as always man thank you for coming on you're a fascinating individual and uh i appreciate your time man i appreciate your patience with my stupid questions
1: that's okay no problems nothing no questions too stupid so okay. don't worry Hell about yeah it.
0: hell yeah appreciate it mike take care god bless okay. america stay safe everybody let me know when you finish let when me I know I think... when
1: we're off i want to tell you something i want to oh yeah sure. Sure. So-
0: hold, on. hold on let me stop recording